That's the title of this message. Before I get into that, I, there's a couple of big events today, Groundhog Day and, and the Super Bowl. And we have some connection with the Super Bowl because my friend down here, uh, Professor David Fleming, had Garoppolo in class when he was at Eastern Illinois University. So if you want to touch him before you leave, you, you can do that. <laughs> so that's our connection to the Super Bowl. I know I say things I shouldn't, but I was sick last night. The human body is so amazing. I, I, I ate some beans and got sick. And did you know that in all the retching, a bean can come up your throat and come out your nose? <laughs> How many knew that? There's a few hands. It's true. It happened to me. So <laughs> I'm not making that up. There's some stuff you can't make up. I'll tell you a story you can't make up. This has nothing to do with anything, but I've got to tell you this story because it's one of my favorites. I was in Iowa City, Iowa, one night about 8 o'clock. I'd been to a guy's surgery all day, and I walk in this donut shop. And there, there was 10 Indian guys from India screaming mad, wanting to kill each other, killing mad, screaming, frothing at the mouth, shaking their fists. Over to the left, there was a guy in a huge greed turban making false teeth. How could you make that up? <laughs> Nobody weighed on me, so finally I left. And now you're thinking, what's that has to do with this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Show me the money, this tireless message. And in that whole vein of Groundhog Day, I hope that Garoppolo and Mahone see their shadow. So that's where we're at. Money has been called the substance that can buy us everything but happiness and can take us everywhere but heaven. In fact, money can't buy you a lot of things. It can buy you an iPhone, buy you a computer, iPad, or for us dinosaurs, a stack of books. Pay your t tuition to the finest university, but it cannot buy your intellect to help you learn. Money can buy you all kinds of medicines and doctors, but it cannot buy health. It may buy you a million-dollar house with an ocean view, but it can't come close to creating a home. It may buy you comp companionship or association with big names and important titles, but not the love of a friend. Money could get you a solid gold crucifix, but it cannot get you a savior. The really important things in life simply aren't for sale, and we know that, but it's funny how we strive to think that we can buy things that will make us happy, actually. This isn't to say that money's not important, even vital, especially to the Lord's work. If believers stopped giving, Christian organizations would fold, and mission fields would be vacant. Christian literature and information would cease, Christian media would stop, no more Christmas child. You saw the joy in that little girl. There's millions of those go out because of generous people like you around the world. So when we get together, and Rachel and Stacy, whoever helps put that together here, that's such an important thing that we don't see the end result. We see, we see putting it together and we do that. But man, just to see that end result. And I, I, I probably don't tell you guys how much I appreciate your generosity as well. Did you realize that I should have got a picture of it? That's my fault. But there's an orphanage that's built in Haiti, the Western Peninsula, in the Grand Anse Valley, that, that we built, that we helped build. Built most of it, I do believe. But our 
There's a plaque on that that says, thanks to the Crossroads Community Church. So I, I appreciate that. I think, I think things like that uh, mean a lot. They mean a lot to me, and I know they do to God as well. Without giving, churches would shut their doors, and believers would miss out on one of the greatest blessings in life, and that's giving. God is a giver. He's never a taker. And he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives to us. And it's, it's on us as his representatives to, to give that back. Here's the subject. We're still in 1 Corinthians. We're almost finished. We're in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Paul puts his finger on the importance of financial giving, a topic that in some churches is overkill. In some churches, I agree, it's probably talked about every Sunday. You got to give, you got to give, you got to give. And in some churches, it's ignored. But it's such a vital part of who we are as believers, it cannot be ignored. And it's my premise that you should preach the Bible all the way from Genesis to the Revelation because it's all relevant. And I've said this before, and sadly, we can go into the Scripture and take things out of context and make them say what we want, but that's not what God had intended. He, he wanted the whole picture, the whole package, so to speak. You can almost see the grimace on the Corinthians' faces as they read this part of Paul's letter to them, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. You notice the article, the, T-H-E, before the words collection and saints. From his choice of words, we understand that Paul had a particular collection in mind. He's not talking about regular Sunday's offering. This was a specific group of people with a specific project in mind when he said that. This money that they were, he was asking them to give would not go through their general fund, but go to a special group of saints in Jerusalem. The need for the collection... If you remember your church history, the church was conceived in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit come down and breathed life into the church, the analogy that I use is when he made Adam, and God came down and breathed into Adam's nostrils the, the breath of life which made him immortal. It, it's, what, it's what happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and breathed life into the church. The church in Corinth was there because the mother church was first founded, and Paul sent people out, or God did. Though the church in Jerusalem was the firstborn, it suffered from some postnatal problems that threatened its life. Not long after it was founded, a famine hit, and there were people within the church of Jerusalem that were starving. That opens up another door for me. When I hear that people in Haiti or some of the places we went in Russia need Bibles or a, a, a place in Haiti needs a van to transport. I listen to that and I pray about it, but my ears perk up when it says, these people are starving to death. That, maybe it shouldn't, but it opens up a whole other door for me, so to speak. And I remember here uh, not lo long ago, the last few months, uh, Haiti was going through some problems and Pastor Fran and New Life for Haiti sent out that, that call, and as well as Fennell did in Jacmel, the people were hungry, that, and people gave, and we sent rice and on and on, and I think that's the way that it should be. So here Paul, he strikes right to the heart of the matter and says, hey, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem were starving. What are you going to do about it? Paul's heart bled for these people. So he organized a relief effort calling upon the church of Corinth to meet the needs of the mother church. 
Paul talks about expressing and meeting financial needs. He, this, opening, this openness about the collection brings up two points that we can apply. First, it's not wrong to let your financial needs be known. A lot of us are too proud to ask for help. And I think especially in this, this area of finances, if we were struggling, I think a lot of us would be hard-pressed to ask. Well, Paul's saying you need to ask. How can the rest of the body be able to help you if, you, if they don't know you're struggling? And in that vein, I think, I think the church family ought to be close enough that when we know somebody's struggling, we don't have to be told or asked that the Holy Spirit would guide us to them. We, we know that. Let a little tidbit of gossip go out and see how fast that travels. Boom, it's just like that, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows everybody's business, so why should this be any different? We know of a family that we know or we love or maybe doesn't even come to church here that's struggling. What a way that God has opened up that door of responsibility or opportunity that we can go into their lives and help them. And, and I, I'm proud of Crossroads. We've done a great job doing that. We have helped countless people, and because of that, God has blessed us. And secondly, Paul makes another important point. Our giving should not be limited to our own local church. Yeah, we should give to our church first, but there are other ministries that bless our souls that, that shouldn't be the end of it. We should continue to look out around us and, and give where needed. Here's the principles. So Paul makes this plea to the, for the church in Jerusalem. He lays down five principles about these special offerings, principles that are applicable to us. The first one is this. Giving should be systematic. He urges the Corinthians to set aside money for their offering on the first day of every week. Giving should be not haphazardly and not whenever we feel like it, but it should be done in a systematic way with regular planning. Do you plan that? Do you communicate the discipline of giving to your children? It's important for us. They need to hear it from us. They, need it. they hear it at church, but they also need to hear it from their parents as well. Two, second principle, giving should be an individual matter. Another soup bean messing around there, so... Did that gross you out? If it did, I'm sorry about it, but I got to thinking about that later. See, that's my problem. I say things, and then later down the road, you say, man, what, what an idiot. Why'd you say that? Oh, I'm not going to say that either, so I better go on. Giving should be an individual matter. Paul also says, let each of you support the church financially. It's not just for the wealthy or the longstanding members or those that are on the staff or the teachers, it, it should be everybody. It should be involved in giving. And so, you know, in your own life, do you contribute to the body of Christ? I mean, that's a question that only you can answer. You see that your individual gift is significant for the whole body. Third principle, giving is to be consistent. Paul tells the Corinthians to put aside and save, literally keep putting aside and saving. Their giving was to be a consistent part of the worship service. That's part of our, our worship service to God. I know some people have asked, why don't you pass a plate? Well, the plate's right in front of you. It's, it's the fact that I don't think people should be coerced into giving. As I get into this in a minute, you should give because God's laid that on your heart and you, you, you believe in what God's doing. You believe in the ministry, uh, believe in us, some days maybe more than others, but nonetheless, that's, that, is, that is the point. Giving is to be consistent. And then fourth principle, giving is to be proportionate to what we receive. Paul now states one of the most important principles of giving. 
Let each of you put aside and save as he may prosper. Each week, we are to see how much we have received and use that for the basis of determining how much that we give. The amount of our paychecks may differ, but we should all have the same attitude toward giving. Verse, or 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you give cheerfully? Or when you think about giving, when you take your check or your cash out, are your knuckles white as you hang it over that basket before you let go of it? I thought about having some deacons walk around with sticks, and if they see you hesitate to whack you. But I don't know how well that'd work. You probably wouldn't come back. It'd make you mad, I'm sure. But uh, I like the Greek word for cheerful. It's the word from which we get hilarious. God loves givers who find joy in supporting his work on this earth. And many of you do that, and I appreciate your generosity. But it opens up this other question. For years, many of you have grew up in church, probably heard countless tithing sermons. But what about grace and tithing? I think we have to make that connection from the Old to the New Testament. It was the Old Testament, 400 silent years, and in the book of Matthew, age of grace. It wasn't the age of grace in the Old Testament. It was the age of law, and, and, and it made a shift. So things changed a little bit. This is what's curious. Paul, a New Testament writer who spoke most frequent on the topic of giving, never mentioned tithing. In all the letters that he wrote, he never mentioned it. He had plenty of opportunities to explain this custom because many of his readers were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. They didn't grow up with knowing Jewish tradition about a tenth. So that, was, that would have been foreign to them. But since neither he nor any other New Testament writer commanded believers to tithe, to give 10% of their earnings, so we can conclude that we aren't obligated to tithe. In a lot of places, if I would say that, I would be labeled a heretic. But you find it. You go back and you search your scripture. If you find it, come tell me. It's not there. Here, instead we have the opportunity to give as the Lord lays on our hearts. Grace giving is not tithing. It is the task that God has given us. That is to say that tithing is outdated in the New Testament church. It just means tithing should be motivated by grace, by the Holy Spirit in our heart and not law. Giving should be something between you and God and something always done lovingly and joyfully. Diane and I have tithed since we started our faith walk, and sometimes it was more difficult than others, but God has blessed us for that. Fifth principle, giving should be a private matter. Paul didn't want his presence to pressure the Corinthians into giving, so he asked that no collections be made when I come. His point, you guys take up the collection, you put it in the tithing bag, you seal it, you tie a knot around it, I'm not going to be there to do that. I want you to go ahead and do that. When you put your gift in the plate, it doesn't matter whether others hear the rustle of a large few bills or the clink of your change. Your giving is, matter is between you and God himself, Matthew 6, 1 through 4. There's no reason to feel proud like the Pharisees or be ashamed. It's just you privately giving back to God a portion of his blessings to you. The Holy Spirit should be our guides. 
Here's the arrangements. Paul's closing comments on the collection concerned the transport of the Corinthians' gift to the church in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 16, 3 and 4. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Paul was discreet when it came to handling the Corinthians' church money. He wanted no part in the collecting. He wanted no part in the counting or the delivering. He would, however, put a seal of approval on it for whoever took, took the money. Other than encourage them to give, he kept his hands out of the money matters. Unfortunately, Paul's plea went unheeded, as do I. I don't count the money. Kurt and Trudy and Tracy, they go in the back and count it. I don't know. I always want to know how much it is, but fact is, I don't go back and examine. And I tell you why I don't do that. Some people disagree with me on that. I knew a pastor one time. I had a guy in his church that gave a million bucks a year. So looking at it from the leadership perspective, if I knew that one of you gave a million dollars a year and somebody didn't give any, would that, would that have any bearing on how I treated them? I think it, hopefully I would say it wouldn't, but I, I don't want to I don't want to know that. I hope that makes sense to you that I don't really uh, touch the money, but I always say keep those cards and letters coming. (laughs) I I want that to to make sense. But the affluent Corinthians clutched their wallets tightly while the poor congregations of Macedonia dug deep into their pockets and gave and gave and gave. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. What made the difference? Unlike the self-centered Corinthians, the generous Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord in verse 5. God's goals were their primary concern, what God wanted. So they found it easy to give exuberantly. What kind of giver are you? Would you consider yourself a hilarious giver? Here's three concluding thoughts. One, giving is not dependent on the size of your church, but on the conviction of your heart. It doesn't matter what size the church is or the congregation. It, it comes, it, it's, giving's not a matter of numbers, it's a matter of the heart. Second tip, giving must be prompted from within and not pressured from without. I know, like I said, I've, I've heard a ton of sermons on what a worm I am if I don't tithe and how I'm not in God's blessing and on and on. There might be a little merit to that, but I get a little fuzzy sometimes. I, 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 I want to tell you the truth. But if you feel convicted in here, I want it to be the Holy Spirit and not me, if that makes sense to you. So that sometimes it puts the speaker in a, in a precarious situation, so to speak. I might agree, but it, it's not my words. It's, it's what God says. I want you to do... What God says. Yeah, I'm bringing the message, but the fact is you have to do what the Holy Spirit, I can't be the Holy Spirit. I can't speak into your heart. I don't even know your heart sometimes, but God, but God does if that makes sense. And like I said, I've heard a lot of high pressure. Will a man rob God? I've heard that out of Malachi. I've heard that a lot of different times. But sometimes with these spatial needs, it comes down to us given sacrificially, and I don't know if we Americans really know what that means. I hope that we never find out to that degree. 
Last tip, giving is an important way to gauge your gratitude. Warren Wiersbe says it well, and I quote, Christian giving is a grace, the outflow of the grace of God in our lives and not the result of promotion or pressure. An open heart cannot maintain a closed hand. If we appreciate the grace of God extended to us, we will want to express that grace by sharing with others. As James tells us, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, James 1.17. If you're thankful for the many gifts and you have gratitude for God for what he's done for you in your life, live your life by Jesus' command, Matthew 10.8. Give as freely as you have received. Diana just, just read me a story, and I don't remember where it was at. There was a lady in a grocery store that was taking groceries off the shelf and eating them. And they called the police, and the police came, and they came to arrest her. And she started weeping, and she said, I'm, I'm starving. I am hungry. It's a touching story, but what happened after that was even more touching to me. My hat's off to the police department, the sheriff's department, firemen, everybody that serve us. The policeman that arrested her, instead of arresting her, took out their wallets and paid her bill. That speaks, that speaks volumes for me. Have you ever been in the grocery line and somebody's in front of you and they come up a little short? You know what a blessing that is. Get out, whatever, five, ten bucks, whatever it is, and finish up paying their bill because you see they really need it. That's what I'm talking about. That's, what, that's how God works through our lives. And it, it speaks volumes to people. Because money is such a vital part of our lives. And when we mention it, it always gets our attention. Did you realize this morning that one of the best ways to chart your spiritual growth is to go back and examine your checkbook you may not have thought of it this way, but your, your checkbook is actually a spiritual journal that demonstrates your priorities in no uncertain terms. Remember Luke 12, 34, Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will your heart be also. Where is your heart this morning? I don't know your heart. It's like I've said countless times, we can come in amongst the brothers and the sisters, and put on the best act that anybody's ever seen. There could be Oscars handing out every week. We're not always who we seem to be. We come in here sometimes and our heart is black with sin. I'm talking about church people. I'm not talking about anybody else right now. We come in here and we've had a tough week and we thought or said mean things about people. God knows that, but we don't do that here. We gossip, say terrible things sometimes. We come in here and oh, we, don't, we don't say that to each other. We don't know that, but God knows, and that's the point. So it's really important for us to look within ourselves. And where is our hearts? Here's some questions to help you do that. Do, you, do your money matters glorify God? That's a simple question that only you can answer. Do you design your budget with the awareness that it all belongs to him? It took me a while to get that through my thick head. 
regardless of what I have, it's all God's. And are you joyfully giving consistently and systematically to build God's kingdom both here and around the world? Then I do what I always do. I ask you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to Eddie's opinion. You've got to listen to what God says to you because ultimately he's in charge. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for blessings upon blessings. I know sometimes we get a little sideways with you when you don't do what we want or things don't go like we want. You allow hardship in our life and sometimes disease and sometimes death and sometimes calamities of all manner. But the faith that you've put within us were to take those in stride and our hearts might be broken and we might grab each other and weep. We might even get mad and shake our fists at you. But you still love us. Lord, in this manner of our money, all us, it's not really ours. You've allowed us to have it. But may we be generous with it. May we look around. May we be sensitive to help those that need help. And not enable people. That's easy to do as well, Lord. That's why you, Holy Spirit, give us direction on that and insight. Who to help, how much to help, what to do here, there, and the other. If we're in tune with you, you allow us to do that. So right now, this morning, as we think about who we are in you, just help us to examine our hearts. If we need to confess, we need to do this, that, and ask forgiveness, whatever, that we might do that at this time. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.